made it. Almost is. He finally made it. I was just about to break out the deep fake. But. I've, uh, I've actually I've been here the whole time. I've just been silent. So any any reports to the contrary, obviously false. I do. Uh, I have it going. It's recording. I do so. have my book, though. So. Hey, you brought your book. Huge step up uh, from the last time. Way to met. go, man. So. Well, gentlemen, we haven't recorded for a long time. Like a month, um, I think. Yeah. It's been a while, but no one will know that, uh, <laughs> except <laughs> that we just said it. <laughs> just <cut> it out. <laughs> a month, I meant a week. Uh, so we're still uh, doing Covenants Made Simple by John T. Rhodes, and uh, we are on to chapter two, right? Mm-hmm. Covenants Covenant first. Chapter dun, dun, two. Dun. So, um, I don't know, do we want to, where were we? Um, what, I mean, what did we kind of end with before? Uh, and how, like, how would you, um, I guess, say this chapter builds upon uh, where we've come from? Yeah. So I think the first chapter is titled Covenant of Works. So it kind of ended with, hey, um, you know, Adam and Eve had the ability to keep the covenant of works because they weren't, they, they had not sinned yet. So they had the ability to not sin, but they had the ability to sin. And then obviously we know they chose to sin, so they they failed to keep the covenant of works. Um, but so now going into chapter two, it's called the covenant cursed. That kind of just builds off of like, hey, this was the first covenant that God made with mankind. Like, hey, you can stay in the garden, you know, be fruitful, multiply, work the garden, you know, tend to it, uh, don't eat of this tree, or else, you know, these, you know, you'll surely die the day you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. And that's the covenant, right? You can eat of all these other trees, just don't eat of that one or it'll die. And then we know they chose to eat of that one, and now we just now it's going to segue into okay, what happened now that the curse, now that they chose to eat, and mankind has been cursed. So, um, yeah, that's that's where two kind of picks up. Yeah, to extend on that, I think uh, chapter yeah. one kind of ends with that, like almost like a cliffhanger. Like uh, I think we probably read this out loud in the last episode. Yeah. But, um, I just think it's such a good quote. I'm going to read it again because it's that good. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last paragraph of the chapter, Rhodes writes, So imagine Adam and Eve as these soft clay figures, slowly hardening. One day, their final form would be set. The question was, would they harden with hands held aloft in worship of God or become stony figures with fists raised in rebellion? And that, I just love, like, that dra- you know, dramatized, like, picture of that. Yeah, so, like, what, what, what will happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that helps to set the stage for uh, understanding chapter two. Yeah, and so we know what happened because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, um, we've read our Bibles. We <laughs> have read our Bibles before reading. Uh, <laughs> before reading <laughs> it's usually a good place to start. Yeah, if you have not, <laughs> highly recommend. Uh, good book. Highly good recommend. Book. Really, uh, author doing his doing. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, in Genesis three, uh, we learn about the fall. Um, Satan coming to uh, Eve and uh, tempting her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, she does this, and um, that is the the you know uh, rebellion of mankind. Um, there's a great uh, Calvin quote on page thirty of the book. Um, I think is a numbering. Is it is the pagination the same in your guys's books? So this would be. Uh, the first full paragraph mm-hmm. is that where the John Calvin quote mm-hmm. is okay yep. yeah. I wasn't sure if it was a little different because I know it's a different yep. cover and everything um, so 
here's a quote from John Calvin uh, on, from his commentary on Genesis 3. He says this, he says, uh, because he, talking about Satan, uh, because he could not drag God from his throne, Satan attacked man in whom his image shone, and therefore he endeavored in the person of man to obscure the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So you see that, um, you know, it's interesting to think about the fall, recognizing that um, there's a, there is a kind of rebellion already happening right yeah. before Eve ever, uh, ever uh, takes the fruit. Um, you have Satan himself tempting, uh, tempting her. Now, uh, there's been debate throughout the history of you know Christendom. Uh, whether or not uh, Satan and the angels fell before this, mm-hmm. or if this in fact is mm-hmm. the fall, like uh, of of the angelic beings as mm-hmm. well, that this is the first rebellion, um, and I guess I probably tend to assume that just because it's what we have in Scripture. But I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm not I'm not super yeah. tied to that in part because it doesn't say outright. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens to be the place that we see this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I know it's not scripture and it's uh, an imaginative work to an extent, but it reminds me of uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost, where there's that one chapter where the, the demons are all, you know, gathered together in hell, and they're they're like, we should, you know, we shouldn't do a full frontal assault on heaven, and then like some of them are sensible enough to be like, that's a ridiculous idea, like you, th- like we're not gonna, they're, I mean, they're s- they still hate God, right? And like, but they realize like that is doomed to fail. They ain't gonna because work. yeah, that's not gonna work. So then they get the sneaky idea of hey, let's go after. The, you know, we've heard that he's gonna make these people in his own image. Let's go after them. It's an easier target. Um, and I think it's kind of it, John Calvin's quote reminded me of this because again, the, Satan and his and the demons couldn't have hoped, you know, to because they get they were tossed from heaven like they were soundly beaten and tossed out of heaven. But but they, they, they found a softer target, right? So we when I was in the military, we talked about being a hard target. Um, you do things that, you know, you, you have to have this tactical mindset of like, hey, like, I'm not creating, I'm not making it myself an easy target for the enemy. You know, you know, keeping your signature low, you know, not leaving them behind like, you know, trash and stuff in the field, um, you know, moving under the cover of darkness and stuff like that. But you know, here it's like, hey, Satan knew that man was more vulnerable, and like that was a easier target for him, obviously, than going up against God Himself. And uh, but you know, it was, unfortunately, you know, man, man failed the test. Adam and Eve failed the test. So that's where you know, again, the covenant works was broken in that regard. Yeah, I think it's good to uh, recognize a lot of times when we think about. Well, I feel like there's. Because we're so aware of, or we we know this story, mm-hmm. um, we there are things that we just don't think a lot about, or we we have assumptions about it, right? So yeah. um, uh, the serpent is the one who comes and and uh, and tempts Eve. Yeah. The serpent, uh, you know, we think of maybe just like a snake. Mm-hmm. Um, in Revelation, we're told that the serpent was the great dragon, yeah, yeah. Uh, right? So this is Satan himself. Uh, in in some form, um, you know, it's interesting to think about maybe why why the form of of a serpent. Uh, but we also think, you know, uh, that Satan 
you know, weights around, and this is actually something that Milton has, and mm-hmm. it's maybe part of why we think it, but yeah. um, that, you know, Eve is kind of off by herself. Yeah. And that's when Satan comes yeah. and uh, finds her alone and tempts her. But that's not actually uh, probably the case uh, when, mm-hmm. when this is happening. Um, it's, it's not as though Adam is far away mm-hmm. and Eve is all by herself. It's that Adam is, yeah. uh, he, he's with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she's speaking with the serpent, he's just standing by likely um, and allowing this to happen, watching it happen, um, allowing his uh, wife to be the guinea pig on which Satan mm-hmm. can experiment yeah. by having her uh, eat of eat of the fruit. And um, that's, it's a, you know, I, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, but um, this is a direct inversion of the created order, yep. right? So you move from God to man, man uh, from man, woman is made, and you also have the, you know, kind of the, the in a sense, the, you know, the, the beast of the field, uh, you know, a serpent, you've, you've creation that's been given over to man as something that man can name, that man can have dominion over. And here it starts with, um, you know, uh, Genesis 3 starts by saying, now the serpent. Right? So it starts with the serpent, it moves to Eve, it then moves to Adam, and then God shows up. And so there's an inv- in co- total inversion of the created order, the, the created hierarchy that God had put in yeah. place. Which is interesting, and then God just resets it yeah. in his response to sin yes. shortly thereafter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you see how that, again, I, that's a really good point, Michael, because that you see how that ruins everything, right? When it's like God, God designed it to be this way, and then when we as humans, you know, flip that and confuse it um, and don't do it according to what he's revealed as his will, then obviously that leads to our demise. Um, and again, we see that in our modern day too, right? The, the flattening of society, the the just, you know, egalitarian mindset of not only our culture, but even the church of, hey, everything's the same, men and women are the same, you know, whatever. In every way. Yeah, yeah. In, every, in every way, like, you know, submission, authority, those are bad words, don't talk about those. Right. But it's like, no, like God has created a hierarchy for our good Again, it was there before the fall, right? Um, like you mentioned, and the fall happened because that order got out of place, right? Adam was standing by, but he wasn't doing his duty. He wasn't fulfilling his obligations of the covenant to, you know, lead lead his wife well and subdue the creation um, to have dominion over, like you said, the beast of the field. Rather, they submitted to the temptation of the serpent and Adam submitted to his wife's you know prompting to hey eat this fruit with me mm-hmm. and then that obviously messed everything up so. yeah you remember um, Adam was also commanded to um, guard and keep mm-hmm. uh, the garden and mm-hmm. so he you know I mean he's supposed to to keep it to to yeah, guard should have cut it that to. snake's head right off yeah, yeah. Well, right exactly. <laughs> right it was it's, it's an interesting question to think well what did he have to you know Mm-hmm. What? Why would he have to do that? Um, why would he have to keep it or yeah. guard it? Uh, well, I mean, right away we see here's one that comes to attack uh, from the inside, yeah. and it would have been great 
if he was ready to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, Rhodes talks about this as, you know, when, when we get to the actual cursing of man. So first, I mean, it's, you know, I, I use this image all the time um, to talk about how we act in our sin. So uh, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, and they right away know something, right? I mean, they know that they've sinned in some regard. They know uh, that what they've done is wrong. And the way that it that shows is that they're ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, they're ashamed of being naked around each other, so they cover themselves up. And right after that, so they cover themselves, um, you know, so there's that shame that comes out socially, basically, yeah. um, this, this shame between one another. And then, uh, this is in verse 8 uh, of Genesis 3, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So they run and hide. So they cover themselves first, yeah. and then they cover themselves again, trying to hide from God himself. And that's what we do. Now, you read it, and you're like, well, that's silly. Well, that's pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They can't. You can't hide Pray, from the right. one that made you. Yeah. Um, but that's what we do a lot of times. That's what sin uh, often causes us to do. We want to hide from God, hide from uh, one another, or cover ourselves from one another in a way that uh, you know, we, we're trying to get away from it. We're trying to suppress it. Yeah. And yet, and yet um, that's not not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I listened to a podcast recently and they talked about you know the the blessing of feeling shame mm. and I think that's a good point um, because you know unfortunately we we do feel shame and we, we should feel shame for things we do um, but that's part of the curse is that we do things for which we have to feel ashamed about but it's a blessing because it, it should drive you know if if you take advantage of it it should drive you to repentance right you know instead of Adam and Eve running from God you know in shame they should have been like yes we sinned against you and you know come before him and repent instead of hiding so it, it can have a, you know you can obviously try to sweep it under the rug and hide it right and then kind of Adam you see his response is like oh you know why are you hiding oh well, you were in the garden and I was naked you know what I mean and then, but it obviously has to come out like who told you you were naked uh-huh. uh, it, it wasn't he couldn't hide it even though he tried but you know, shame in our lives has this, you know, this work of like, yes, I can't just sweep this under the rug. I can't just hide this, you know, shove it in the closet. Like, I need to come and repent, you know, to God and to those I sin against. But unfortunately, we see here the wrong use of shame, which was trying to hide and run. Yeah, just hide instead yeah, of directing them toward God. Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting what he does too. So they hide. Yep. God finds them, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you're, not, like you're not winning this game of hide and seek, you know. Uh, the one who is sustaining your very being at yeah. the, this moment, uh, yeah. you can't hide from him. Um, so when hiding doesn't work, then what does Adam do? It defaults to, oh, well, it was the woman you gave me. He yeah. Blamed, yeah. Right, right. He blames, right? So he blames for, you know, it's the woman, but it's not just the woman, it's the woman that you gave mm-hmm. me. So right? it's you. Actually. Yeah, it's you. right. It's it, like, he blames God himself, yeah, right? I think we missed the significance of that. Because, again, he didn't just say the woman. He said the woman you gave me. Yeah. So it's like, God, this is actually, like... To, Don't you think you could have done better? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, <laughs> like, 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 that's incredibly blasphemous. Yeah. To say, you know, be like, the woman you gave me. It's like, 
what do you? Oh, so you're gonna shift the blame on me? Now. I'm free of responsibility. It's yours. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is when God wiped him out and started over, and yeah. but he didn't, right? He did. I mean, he didn't. Yeah, uh, he, he was, could. He was totally justified. He was gracious, yeah. um, even even in the midst of all of this, yeah. and um, so even in his cursing of man, um, it it was not done to the extent that it could have been. Yeah, and God could have been just. Right, yeah. Yep. Um, it, even within the curse, there's tons of grace mm-hmm. and tons of hope yeah. right. um, given. Yeah. Before we get to that, really quick, I was very interested. Bottom of 31, he talks about, um, I'd never heard this before, Henry Blocker talking with uh, okay. the purpose of like why they're recovering that particular parts of their body. Were you familiar with this before, Michael, um, before reading this, and how, how does this thought strike you? No, I'm, so I've never heard it. Uh, heard this um, thought of, but I think it's uh, really interesting, at least. Just for for listeners' interest, um, yeah, it seems like what's being suggested here is well, they're specifically um, covering up their sexual organs, and the purpose behind this, Blocker suggests, is that um, Adam and Eve were keenly aware of in that moment their inability to produce out of nothing, as God can produce ex nihilo out of nothing. Um, and so the, the shame of rebellion, and f- this is what he writes, the shame of rebellion and failure drove them to hide the most obvious reminders of this very fact. Yeah. That they're not self-sufficient. Right. right. Yeah. Which is what, the, which is what the, the taking of the fruit was an act of. It was mm-hmm. a declaration of we are self-sufficient. Right. Because earlier in 31 he said, um, and this, this always kind of irks me because people are like, oh, God hurt cursed all humanity because Adam and Eve took a fruit. Took a yeah. fruit. It's yeah. like, that seems petty. It's like, it's not, and he says it here in the first paragraph of 31, the action itself may have seemed small, just picking a fruit, but the intent was evil to the core. Treason, right? Mm-hmm. What was this, the serpent said, you know, you will be like God, you know, being able to discern what is good and evil, mm-hmm. being able to decide for yourself what is good and evil. And what did he do? Oh, the fruit looks good and it's going to give me that ability to be like God. Mm-hmm. So she took it. Right, that was the act. Right, that was that was what was so heinous. Was that you know we can decide what good and evil is. We can be like God rather than submitting to what God has told us to do. And then, like you said, then they were shamed and covered up. And I think it's an interesting thought. I mean, I don't know if we can stake our flag on that, but I think he he makes an interesting point of like we cover these parts up because they're. You know, stark reminders of, oh, we can't actually be like God. Mm-hmm. We are not even close to being like God. Like He created, like you said, out of nothing, mm-hmm. and we are totally insufficient to be able to create out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We need, we need other resources to be able to create. We need, you know, in the case of being fruitful, and multiplying, we need another. You know, we need someone of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. You know, we are dependent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and not to, not to jump too far ahead, I think we should come back to this too, but um, yeah. page 35, I really appreciate it. So you're talking about the heinousness of this rebellion yeah. against God, but then he, he expounds on, and, and we know this like <laughs> from how our government operates today, but he says, the size of the crime is measured in part by the importance of the person that you assault. Yes. Kill a fly, no one cares. Kill your dog, you might get a fine. Assassinate the queen, and you are now in trouble. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. attack God, the greatest of all beings, the one in whom, to quote Paul, we live and move and have our being, 
the crime is infinitely serious. Yes. Uh, Adam and Eve are the children of God and have turned to strike at their own father, which is like, yeah, you pair that with the initial heinousness of the rebellion itself, and you're just like, whoa, how could yeah. God not wipe them off? Like, what sort of miracle is this that after publicly aligning themselves right. with the enemy, yeah. God doesn't say, oh, right. sorry. What was um, in the Old Testament? So if somebody, if, a, if somebody insulted another person, what was like the penalty? Like what would it be like? Because I know, I know, and this is kind of the point I'm trying to get at is like, because if you dishonored your father or mother in the Old Testament, you were stoned to death. So there was a sense of like, you, you know, like you said, you turn and strike your, like they turn to strike their own father. Mm-hmm. Like in the Old Testament, that was infinitely more serious. Than, I mean, there would still be penalties if you were insulted. I don't, I don't, I'd have to yeah. look up. I don't know that there's, yeah. I, I can't think of uh, there being a penalty for just a, yeah. like, you know, you are insulting just another guy. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's anything, um, but you're mm-hmm. right that the, the nature of one's authority makes it different. And like yeah. you said, we know this. Um, my example is often, like, if I took my shoe off and threw it at you right now, yeah. you'd be like, why did you do that? Yeah. You know, it'd be like, that was weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, a journalist once took his shoe off, and both shoes off, and threw them at, you know, President right. George W. Bush. Right. Um, and he was in jail that yep. day, you know? Exactly. <laughs> like that, um, yep. Why is that, right? Yeah. Because, uh, because the, of, the nature of the crime is not just what you do, right. it's who you're doing it to. Yes. Um, and so, and we get that. And so this is ultimately cosmic treason. It's, yes. yep. It is um, the highest handed rebellion, like you're saying. It's saying, okay, I would like to, okay, he's on the throne, he's told us what to do. Well, I would like to tell me what to do, mm-hmm. and I would like to be on the throne. Yep. Well, what do you have to do to do that? You have to kill him, right? Yeah. You have to kill the king. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the attempt. Mm-hmm. Now it's absurd. Yes. You can't do it. Yes. Uh, but it, that is the, the absurdity of sin, in a sense, that we could be our own gods in yeah. some way uh, or form. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's, I, I think it'd be good to um, work through then. Um, he, he takes the, the uh, covenant curses, and um, he, he does them a little bit in different order uh, than they appear in Genesis 3. So, yeah. um, you know, man blames the woman and God in the process. The woman blames the serpent, yeah. uh, and the serpent uh, doesn't uh, say anything because it's a serpent, and... Uh, God doesn't let him speak, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, even just that, I mean, yeah. there, there's something there that I think um, we should think about that, if I'm honest, I'm not actually put together until this exact moment. Uh, but the fact that here you have basically the courtroom scene, mm-hmm. you've God the judge, you have these two people that he's made in his image, and you have one that in other places does stand as an accuser. Yeah. Uh, and yet, in this kind of, uh, in this, I don't know the, the best word, but in, in the curse of Adam and Eve, it's not, they are representative of the whole human race, right? Mm-hmm. And in this moment, God as judge um, doesn't even let the serpent speak uh, to accuse them, right? They're, so, so he doesn't allow that accusation into his judgment at all. Um, even though he could have, right? It would have been. Yeah. Uh, he he could have done that. Yet he doesn't even allow Satan to speak. I mean, that too, I think, is a is a sign, a picture of the grace, um, the grace of God, even there. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's also because he's a serpent; he shouldn't speak. He's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, John T. Rhodes breaks this down uh, into, uh, you know, 
having summarized the blessings of the covenant of works as God's people in paradise with God's presence. He then uh, kind of breaks up the different covenant curses uh, by saying that each of these things is reversed or removed. Those blessings are not now going to be enjoyed. Um, so the first curse then is the curse on the woman that's not actually chronologically the first curse. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way he takes it, he starts with the curse of the woman and says this has to do with uh, <coughs> basically removing that blessing of being God's people uh, yeah. and instead adding conflict and sin into human relationships. Um, so he quotes, um, you know, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So this is the curse uh, yeah. given to the woman. Um, and you notice that it all has to do with human relations. Um, it has to do with um, her relation to her children in childbearing. Um, and arguably this goes beyond just the actual labor pain, although that's part of it, uh, but even just the, the, the pain of bringing up children, the pain of, of uh, life raising children. Um, so that part of the, the relationship, and then the relationship with the husband, right? That your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Um, what does that mean? I mean, what, what does that mean that you know, your desire shall be for your husband? That sounds like a good thing, right? Like, should, mm -hmm. should you desire? <laughs> you shouldn't desire shouldn't be for another man. Yeah. <laughs> well, he kind of um, goes into it in the next paragraph after he quotes Genesis three sixteen. Um, the same word is used in Genesis four seven uh, when God warns Cain, "Let you know." He just he. Again, John T. Rose kind of puts it this way that he describes God describes sin as a monster kind of lurking at the door. And its desire is to, you know, have dominion over Cain. Yeah. He's like, so be, be like, he's warning him, like, look, sin is lurking at the door and its desire is to rule over you. Yeah. Its desire is to have dominion, to have control over you, so don't let it. And that's the same word used here for, you know, the curse of Eve desiring to rule, like, desiring her husband it's mm -hmm. not you know again like you said it's not like the oh I'm passionate and I love my husband yeah. right uh, oh, unfortunately <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah and, and sometimes yeah. people uh, think that like actually yeah. they think oh yeah the problem is is that um, yeah. you know women they're you know wives are just gonna love too much too right clean. like they're yeah. it's a, that's right. a curse like, the that's, curse that's, is the clinginess that is like you know to ultimately get humankind make clingy wives I just see some modern translation being like it is. you know the message design. part two yeah the message part two you will be a stage five clinger to your husband oh, my, like, oh goodness. my goodness lord help us no it's yeah right no it because we know how it's used directly after this we know that this yeah. has to do with this idea of dominant like wanting yeah. to be dominant right yes. especially when this has to do with that that broken hierarchy right the, yes. the broken yeah. created order um, yeah. things are going to be disordered now right so and it, and it goes down the line uh, but to you know look at the woman you have this this uh, you know kind of revolt upward mm -hmm. that still there's that tension that difficulty same thing is going to happen by the way for the man mm -hmm. is that which is you know, under his authority, the, the, the ground that he works yeah. is going to fight back against him too. Yes. And so um, that it, it just shows how you have that 
that fight going on now. So, yeah, things that used to be in harmony, right? Exactly. The, the wife submitting to the husband, the husband, the, the ground not being difficult against the, the man to work, the, the husband being, you know, not passive in his leadership and his, you know, his care for his wife and his care for his work. Now it's, like you said, those things which were supposed to be in subjection are now going to fight back against him and then he's either going to be domineering and authoritarian or he's going to be passive. You know, so either, you know, he's going to be abusive to his wife and um, not work the ground properly uh, or he's just going to let it kind of steamroll, which, you know, we see both. Uh, Unfortunately, in our modern day, we see both. We see, you know, the authoritarian, domineering, abusive husbands and we see the husbands that just get steamrolled and then unfortunately when husbands get steamrolled the the family unit gets you know the family unit is obliterated and then society is obliterated and we have what we have today right right so it's just this this snowball effect right you see what the curse does right you see what that disharmony disunity does uh, because we have revolted against god's created order yeah So we then, I mean, we've already brought up it. We have the curse of the man, um, the curse given to the man. So it says, uh, you know, he quotes Genesis 3, 17 to 19, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so um, this sense of now antagonism exists between man and what he's supposed to work. Um, And you see this, by the way, um, you know, one of the reasons that the curse applied to woman is primarily having to do with her relations to her children and to the man. I mean, it's because that's what the woman's made for, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what you, people, in in a sense, you could say what you, you know, are made from that, which that's what you're for. That's, that directs you in Genesis. Um, So all of creation comes from nothing, but it comes from God ultimately, right? So it it comes from him in a sense. So it's, it's supposed to be directed toward him. Um, Our ultimate direction is, is toward him. Okay. Um, man is taken out of the ground mm-hmm. and given uh, the breath of life breathed into him. Right. So you have the, that two-directional uh, kind of way of like, so he's for work, he's for working the ground, but he's also for, you know, uh, the Lord. He's for um, knowing God, for it, for the, the work of God. Um, woman is is taken out of man, so she comes out of man like man comes out of the ground, um, and so you see that she's she's got a directional, uh, you know, uh, telos in a sense, yeah. to her husband, to mm-hmm. man, um, and this is I mean we see this obviously I mean women are obviously very you know um, connected to their um, relationships in a way that's not true of men, not that it's bad. Um, I had a uh, pastor who's, you know, now would consider himself very much an egalitarian, uh, funny enough. But he always used to give this example when he wasn't egalitarian. <laughs> I, wonder if he, I wonder if he'd still get it. I know. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he was a great man uh, in, in a lot of ways. But he, he said he pastored for a while in a coal town uh, where pretty much men and women both, everybody worked in the coal mines uh, or for the coal companies. And at one point, uh, the mine shut down. And he said that in his congregation, um, the women uh, were able to go home and they found consolation because they had their families, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, it, it was not, it was hard, 
but it wasn't like the end of their life um, as long as they felt like they still had a good relationship with their family. Mm -hmm. Um, And the men lost their job and they were destitute and they like just went to the bars. They just didn't know what to do with themselves and they were completely despairing and hopeless. Uh, And that's, I think it's a good example. I mean, just men are more directionally oriented toward their work. You know, you want to accomplish things, you want to build things, you want to do things. Uh, And um, that's where we derive a lot of our understanding of our value because it's what we're made for directionally. Um, Now it's not ultimate because ultimately we also have the, you know, the spirit of God, the breath of life breathed into us. We, yeah. it, we're supposed to be directed ultimately toward the Lord. Um, so even when, you know, we come up against the cursed ground, we should still be able to look to the Lord um, mm-hmm. for hope, for our ultimate direction. But it's just true that, I mean, if if you don't have work, if you don't have direction in that way, yeah. men become hopeless. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah. And... And the masculine instincts, the the drive that men have, you know, as it's in our nature to have, gets expressed in all sorts of profane ways, right? Because you don't have anything productive to put it towards. Yeah. Um, so you get all sorts of messed up stuff when, you know, men just sit idle. Right. Right. Um, they don't have a purpose. They don't have a drive. They don't have a. They don't have a mission. Yeah. And then, you know, again, you like you said, you can take it to an extent where it's like, you neglect your family and you neglect responsibilities for the sake of like, oh, I'm just you know, just trying to build this thing or whatever. Um, I'm just trying to like you know, you know, work. They work too much like, because it's like oh, I just got I gotta like make more money or I gotta like do this. I gotta I gotta get to this rank or I gotta get that promotion or whatever. Like obviously those are those abuses, but. Then there's also the flip side of it, where it's like they don't have a job if they don't, you know, properly, you know, ex- use that drive, that missional drive that God created for to work and to be fruitful, productive. It, you know, and they sit idle. That's a, that's bad for society. That's it's bad for men. It's bad for women. It's it's bad for communities. Um, so again, it's got it's got to be used rightly. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, um, you know, so that's um, you know God's people in paradise, um, in the presence of God. Um, the final part of the curse on man and woman. Uh, before we talk about the curse of the serpent, uh, which is different in that way, is that uh, Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. And they were they were driven out. It says so. God drives them out of the garden, and um, then places this cherubim guard. Um, with a flaming sword at the at the front of the garden. Um, in essence, by the way, to say, to get back into paradise, you first have to die, right? Somebody has to die for you to get into paradise. Uh, yeah. And I think in a lot of ways setting up for us um, what uh, what's going to happen in Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you get back to paradise? How do you get back to the presence of God? Um, you can only do it through somebody's death. Yeah, you have to be reborn uh, and uh, born again. You have to be brought back from the dead in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, so they're, you know, they are exiled. Uh, they, they're exiled. It specifically says that, you know, the Lord um, drove them. Uh, he drove them out um, at the east of the garden. So they're driven east of Eden. Um, and if you can think of, of uh, in the New Testament, um, think about when... Uh, Jesus goes to be baptized, um, what happens directly uh, 
after uh, Jesus' baptism uh, is that he is uh, driven out by the Spirit, we're told, into the wilderness, uh, which is east. I mean, he, he goes out into the wilderness, which is east of the Jordan. Um, so Jesus is, I mean, he is replaying this ultimate exile, right? He's, he, is, um, he is becoming this new exiled man, um, taking on the exile, where he's going to be tempted by the serpent. Uh, but this time he's going to overcome. This time, as in the new Adam, he's going to overcome uh, that temptation. But anyway, that's you know that's probably getting far ahead. It's just too good not to not to think about it. Uh, you obviously didn't unhitch your Old Testament from the New Testament. So that's good. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's almost like there's a you continuity. Are correct. <laughs> it's almost like there's a continuity between the that's two right. testaments. You know? One last thing before we move on from the people in the yeah. in the paradise and God's presence is probably just worth noting that uh, yeah the curses in, in the paradise of Genesis three seventeen and nineteen regarding the ground that's that's a really important framework for our understanding of why vegetables are part of the curse and why we shouldn't be <laughs> forced to eat vegetables and then we see this again later when Cain tries to give God veggies and he's like yo I want the ribeye that Abel brought I'm actually not pleased so <laughs> theology um, of meat eating exactly so this is yes I'm waiting for the book this is why vegetarians yeah get out of here. <laughs> so good. What I, I shouldn't even I shouldn't even make the joke, but uh, is this why Adam and Eve were driven? Because they reach oh, out, yeah. they just they just oh, eat yeah. fruit. Yeah. And, uh, if only they Obviously. could eat meat. Yeah, come on, <laughs> kill the serpent. The trigger kill the serpent. Fry that thing over a fire, and they would have been fine. <laughs> they would have been a reptile. Maybe that would have been okay. Oh, man. Uh, that's that's hilarious. That is not. That's right. Don't don't take that. Don't take that. Oh man. Just edit that down. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So part of the curse on man too is that he's going to die, right? So um, you know he's told that uh, he's going to work uh, by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So you notice there too, um, the the kind of you know two part directionality of man is man is is both from the dust of the earth he's taken from the dust of the earth but he also has the breath of God in him um, and instead of in a sense ascending instead of moving upward toward God um, now because of part of the curse is that he's going to actually move further away in a, in a sense right he's going to move away from heaven down into the dust um, which is uh, you know. Interestingly, what um, the serpent is, uh, you know, said to eat, right? The, the serpent is is to crawl on his belly and, and shall eat dust all the days of your life. I don't know what that means. I'm just intrigued uh, by that connection. And um, so man is going to die, uh, and that's going to be uh, part, of, part of this curse. Now, he has an interesting phrase um, that I think is just a, uh, you know, interesting way to put it because he's talking about uh, how this isn't just physical death mm-hmm. um, this is this is more than that because way, yeah. because man has the spirit of God in him because he is a spiritual being um, not just a physical being uh, he says no human being once created can ever cease to exist um, so it's not that you know man is going to cease to exist when he goes into the ground yeah. uh, rather this is the judgment of you know, of damnation, of of the second death, of, yeah. of a spiritual death. So let's talk then about um, the curse of the serpent, 
and how the curse of the serpent includes hope. I mean, we're, you know, the the it includes promise actually and, and hope. So gospel proclamation. Yeah. Yeah. So in what way? I mean, you want to take yeah. some of that? So we'll use this analogy here. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously. We see in Genesis 3, before he even gets to the woman, and then subsequently the man, he starts with the serpent. And uh, yeah, Genesis 3.15, one, one of the best verses from the first three chapters of the Bible. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He's going to bruise your he- head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um, so firstly, the first part of that verse, the fact that God isn't um, just going to allow, despite man and woman's alliance to uh, the enemy, God's not just going to be like, all right, you you put your foot, foot in the wrong boat, and I'm going to force you to live with your decision. Instead, he graciously is saying now, nope, I'm going to split you up, and I'm I'm not going to allow this union, which would result in their rotting death to happen for my, for my creation. Instead, I'm going to put enmity and strife between the two of them. And then, yeah, this idea of one day the seed of the serpent is going to, to strike the heel of the seed of the, the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the head, which always, I, I don't remember if we've talked about this before, but it always reminds me there's a meme from The Office where um, Dwight's got a concussion and Michael has like burned his foot on the George Foreman grill and they go to the doctor and Michael's like, hey doctor, what's more serious, a foot injury or a head injury? And the doctor's like, oh, definitely a, fo- uh, a, fo- a head injury. He says, well, you don't understand, the foot's been pretty severely burnt. I just picture this is like, Satan here is like, okay, so my... Hold on, my foot's gonna get, or my head's gonna get hurt, but at least I get to hurt his heel. But no, no, this is a promise that eventually (laughs) there's going to be one that comes from the line of the woman, one uh, that comes, yeah, from from her offspring, who is going to fully and finally, you know, put to death forever uh, this this um, serpent who initially led them into sin and who will continue Mm -hmm. to do so all the days of his life. And so, yeah, it's it's the first um, promise that we get from God that one day all things are going to be made right here. And that the serpent is going to be killed. Yep. Yeah, he'll do what Adam was supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? Adam was, should have stomped on its head. Yep. Yeah. Um, and instead, now that's what what the second Adam is going to do. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting that um, right after this, he uh, John T. Rhodes points this out in on page thirty-five. But um, directly after the cursing, the very first thing we're told after God gives the curse, man speaks, and this uh, I do think is a sign of faith and repentance. Hmm. Um, so Adam acts in faith and repentance by number one taking back his place right so he 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 takes his place again and we're told that he gives his wife a name right so he names the woman in other words that creational order that had been just all confused and you know um, broken up before he's in a sense trying to like take his place once again and so he we're told in genesis 3:20, the man called his wife wife's name eve because she was the mother of all living this is just after the curse. So God has just literally just told them, you're going to die. Yeah. But Adam gives his wife a name that has to do with life, right? She's going to be the life giver. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties to uh, basically his belief. And so it's repentance because he names his wife again. Yeah. Um, but it's also uh, faith because God has promised that she will bear offspring that crushes this serpent that, you know, eats the dust, right, that, yeah. that is connected to death itself, that has brought us into death, um, he is, she is going to give birth to one who is going to destroy him. So mm-hmm. ultimately, she brings life, right? Like mm-hmm. life is what will ultimately come of this. Yeah. And so uh, there's just a beautiful, uh, I think, image of repentance and faith right mm-hmm. there, right at the, you know, right at the beginning. 
And what does God do then? Um, it says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So Adam and Eve can't clothe themselves. They mm-hmm. tried um, with fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves. Uh, but God ultimately does clothe them. Uh, he covers them. And it, we're not told. Um, it just says, you know, a garment of skin. Uh, so we're not told exactly what this process was, like mm-hmm. what, you know, what God did. But it means that God had to kill something, mm-hmm. right? It means that he had to um, kill an animal. And um, the chances that this was a, a lamb, a sheep, I'm like, yep. I'm like 99%. Makes sense. I'm, yes. just, yep. you know, nope. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty positive, especially because after this we learned that, you know, uh, Abel... Right after this, we learned that Abel was a keeper of sheep. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the first time sheep shows up. It's like, well, who taught him? How did he learn? What? Sure. How did he become a keeper of sheep? And how did he learn to offer a sacrifice of sheep? Well, he's copying what God himself did, that God made the first sacrifice in a sense, mm-hmm. um, gave Adam and Eve this proto-sacrificial system by yep. killing something and covering them with it. Mm-hmm. And so this is where this is going to develop into, you know, the sacrificial system. Substitutionary as you atonement. For yeah, 100%. Yep. yep. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah, it's after after this in on page 37 that he gets into um, those three problems hanging from Adam's belt, which he describes as guilt, grime, and the grave, which definitely appreciate uh, how memorable those three are. Um, <laughs> the G's. Love the G's. Thank you, John T. Yes. John yeah, T so this is, right, so this is original sin, right? Um, the, the reality that what Adam did applies to us. Um, so, yeah, let's talk, I mean, let's talk about that a bit, I guess, uh, before we're done. Um, in what way does that, does what Adam do transfer to us? Yeah. Well, first, um, Again, he says here, you know, he quotes Romans 5.15, one trespass led to condemnation for all people. So all people now stand guilty uh, by means of being uh, the offspring of Adam. The, the, our first federal head, Adam, failed. And he broke, again, it, again, it goes back to covenant, right? We, we are all, we're all under the covenant headship of Adam. And until we're until we're made new in Christ, human beings are still under the covenant headship of Adam. And that covenant headship has been tainted. That covenant headship failed to do his duty and therefore plunged all of his offspring into a curse. But that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be lumped in with that. I didn't choose, yeah. I didn't I didn't choose yeah. that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. This, and that's, again, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, that's the objection that people make, right? But it... And I think some people make some good examples, right? Um, they like, oh, that's not fair. Like, how does that work? I didn't choose to do that. It's like, well, you know, we've been, we just got out of, you know, 20 years in you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. right? I didn't declare that war. You didn't declare that war. Yeah. You didn't, did, Michael, you didn't declare that war. You didn't, that, that was, that was a decision made by our federal headship, the United States government. The president asked me. Pre- I don't know if I... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I did. Okay, okay. So it's Michael. So Michael is partially responsible for making news. Let's saying. go to war, George. <laughs> so, but, but we, we see... I did not really, everybody. Uh, <laughs> not a fan. Unnecessary so. clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we see federal headship in all areas of our life, right? That, you know, again, the government makes decisions. There's a lot of decisions that we do not like that the government makes and we're forced to live in them mm-hmm. 
Um, you didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose to you be born. You didn't choose I your didn't last name. Yeah, I didn't choose who my father would be. Yep. And yet I was still under his rule. I was still under his house. Mm-hmm. Um, so that objection is... It doesn't hold any water. Yeah, like, who sorry. cares? Yeah, I don't. I'm sorry. Who, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, well, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't choose, choose this. to do I that. I don't well, want that. Well, who are what? you? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, okay. you know? yeah. It doesn't matter. It's 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 a very. Right. You don't have to agree with it because <laughs> yeah. it, it just is, right? Yeah. It's it, this is just how God made the world. Exactly. And it's just the way that things are. Exactly. Uh, whether you like it or not. Actually, really good news for us later on in the story. Yes. I mean, that's like, right. Yeah. As, as Rhodes ends this paragraph, if you want to get rid of the idea that another person can represent you. You're going to undermine the cross where Jesus hung as your representative. Exactly. And, that, and that's kind of what I was getting to is because, right, if you want to deny the federal headship of Adam, then you ultimately deny the federal headship of Christ. Yeah. Um, that he could, like you just said, Chase, mm-hmm. that he can represent you, right? Because, okay, well, I didn't choose to be born in sin. Okay, well... I didn't choose to have Adam represent me. Well, you could say the same thing about mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, right? that's true. Like, you didn't choose Jesus to represent yeah, either, yeah. dude. So, <laughs> so why should Jesus represent you if you if you deny the representation of who God chose in His in His sovereign choice to represent humankind at the beginning? Right. If you reject that, you don't get to then all of a sudden be like, well, I want, but I want Jesus. It's like no, that's the whole point of why Jesus came, why He's the second Adam, right? He's the better Adam. Um, is because the first Adam failed. And because all of us are under the covenantal headship of the first Adam. Yeah. Until he comes and gives and makes us makes right. a new covenant with us. Yeah. And let's say you get out of this somehow, which you can't. But let's just say you can. <laughs> um, it doesn't fix things because no. yeah. you still sin. Yeah. <laughs> which is his That's second part, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's not only the original sin that we're born into, it's then you also commit right. cosmic treason. Right. Yeah. You have also been sinful from right. your yeah. mother's womb. Like you, yeah. you, you're you also do it. So mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't get you very far. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got uh, a couple of breaths in, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. at the at best, I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you were sinned, and so um, so there you are. You still need the same thing. You yes. still need uh, need the the grace of God ultimately in. Uh, a sacrifice or representative on, on your behalf. And this is what in the book he calls the grime, right? Yep. It's not just that on paper we're guilty because of what Adam did. We are also born with a bent towards sinning ourselves. In fact, we cannot but sin. No one since Adam is able to avoid sin except, of course, Jesus. That's yes. right. That's right. And then the grave, right? So then the, the, the final judgment G- of sin itself, yeah. of death, um, and mm-hmm. the second death, yeah. uh, which is spiritual death, right? Death yep. that doesn't end. Um, the worm that never stops, the the fire that never stops burning. Yeah. Um, I I love the picture in Pilgrim's Progress of like how uh, hopeful and Christian come to the river, and they're kind of like you know they're both like hopeful, and he just goes for it. He's like, "There's the city, I'm going for it." I'm in. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> if Christian, you know, he's he's kind of overcome with guilt. He's That's you know he's cool. apprehensive. Um, you know, but they still have to go through and like you, you just see this, they go through the river and they die. And and then they come out on the other end and then they're given new garments. They're they're led up to the celestial city and to um, to new life. Whereas uh, I forget the name of the individual who came over on a boat. Right? So he kind of earlier in the book he snuck around to a different way. He didn't go through the, the path of the he didn't go on the King's Highway and he comes out some other way at the end and crosses over and he tries to get to Celestial City and then the angels escort him to hell. Because he he went up he tried to circumvent, you know. So we're all doomed to physical death. But there is a second death that men can avoid because of 
Jesus Christ and what he did. Which takes away the yeah. sting of Again, mm-hmm. yeah, the second death, right? Yeah, like, I think it's in, is it in First Thessalonians, oh, death, where's your sting, sting right? Because, yes, like, physical death will hurt, but the sting of physical death is that it brings men into the second death. Whereas now Christ has made it made a way for us not to experience the second death. So where we, whereas we will experience physical death, we will that actually ushers us into eternal life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's First Corinthians quoting. I think Hosea. Which yeah. Is, yeah. Such a good, such mm-hmm. a good like, almost like Jesus is the death taunter. In this case, Paul yeah. is the death taunter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Death yep. Absolutely. So yeah. That's 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 what we look forward to. So is that hey. The grave for the Christian, the grave is not the end. But the warning is for the non-Christian, the grave is not the end, but not in a good way. Like because yeah. there's something worse coming. Right. Whereas right. Christians, like that's that's the worst. Yeah. And then, but right. it leads to glory. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the idea that like yeah, yeah, for the non-Christian, this is as good as it gets. It's not going to yeah. get any better than it is right now for you. So in yeah. yeah, live live life as best you can because it's all downhill from here. Versus for yeah. the Christian, this is the bottom of the trough. This yeah, is yeah, the yeah. absolute. Everything from here on out is upwards and and greater. Which death, is really death ushers us <laughs> in to glory, mm-hmm. not right. not the pain of judgment. Right. right. So no. death. Uh, in Christ has become a kind of handmaiden. Yeah. Uh, like death now serves mm. Christ's ends, yeah. right? It, it serves Christ's uh, drawing of the souls of his beloved up to him. Yeah. Yeah. I so. think uh, one of my favorite things about this book so far is how poetically Rhodes ends each of his chapters. So yeah. like even this one he has, I, I love, this is one of his closing sentences. He says, when we see him, <clears throat> we find him, Jesus, millennia later sweating drops of blood in another garden before bearing a crown of thorns that he's hanged before bearing a crown of thorns, uh, as he's hanged on another tree, we begin to see something of the horror of the curses of Genesis 3, which I think yeah, takes us a step out from <clears throat> our knee-jerk reaction to reading the curses and thinking, well, how does this affect Chase? Yeah. How does this affect Mike? How does it affect Andrew today? And instead seeing, oh, this is how ultimately Christ is going to be paying on our behalf and how Genesis 3 is actually a really good chapter in the Bible for Christians. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And this is the continuity. Gar- another garden. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Right? That's so he, he redeems, right? He in in the Garden of Gethsemane he kind of redeems Eden in a sense where it's like he goes and that's where he's you know, sweating drops of blood and then he accepts like I mean obviously he, he did before but he said, you know, not my will but you will be done. And then he goes to another tree, which he's hung on. And then that tree is kind of our where the where the tree you know, the first tree in the garden mm-hmm. of Eden cursed us. God you know, hung on a Jesus hung on a tree. He became a curse yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, he became a curse. He hung on a tree to redeem us. So mm-hmm. that that continuity there, those common themes. Mm-hmm. I think it's even in those little details, it's amazing. Almost like there's some about. sovereign God yeah, in control of all things, working them up things. for our good and his glory. Yeah, yeah. weird. Yes, yeah. beautiful. <laughs> so well, all right. Next to chapter three. Next chapter three up three. next. So, all right, thanks, guys.